It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast on a Tuesday with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. It's the Smoky Mountain Organics podcast. East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies for a variety of ailments. They've got four locations to serve you, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Ford, Sevierville, and of course, they're in Knoxville on Kingston Pike, just down and across from Trader Joe's, right there across from Barnes and Nobles, or you can check them out online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. That is Smoky Mountain Organics. Guys, plenty to get to on this Tuesday edition of the podcast. We'll obviously start with Tennessee putting a bow tie on the Kentucky game. A couple of stats I'll throw out to you in a second, but I um, what as you 48 hours away from it, Austin, what, what's your biggest takeaway from what you w- watched on, on Saturday night? And what was just kind of a crazy football game? Well, you know, you're, you're really hoping, Brent, that the, the Tennessee defense that they've seen all year kind of can find its way, you know, and find some footing here, you know, in the next, the last, the next three games, the last three games. Um, Cause I mean, they, they were very poor uh, Saturday night, but Tennessee's offense, just continues to click, and um, you know, I, I, you just—that's my biggest takeaway—is the resurgence. And you know, you see Bill Martin, the SID for football, he's putting out all those statistics every week about number of thirty-yard plays versus previous years, number of forty-yard plays, fifty-yard plays. Um, it's staggering, you know, the the big plays that this offense has put together, and uh, you know, it, they're not bust plays; they're just you know, well-designed plays, and Tennessee's players are going out and executing them. All right, Rob, let me throw this stat at you before I get your thoughts on Kentucky. Hendon Hooker in the first half of games this season is 79 of 111, 71% completion percentage, no interceptions, 17 touchdowns, 1,291 yards. Sounds like a guy that's playing for a a coaching staff that has a plan going in. I mean, those are PlayStation-type numbers. I mean, that's that's beyond what Al Mummy and and all those guys were doing for years. What's your takeaway – from Tennessee getting to win number five? I mean, I mean, several, but I guess maybe the biggest win, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an old cliche, but you want to be, you know, you want to be playing your best football in, in November. You want to get better as the year goes on. And I don't mean, I remember, hey, remember what you do in November, Rob Lewis. Yeah. But I mean, more, more than that, it's just, this team clearly has gotten better as the season has gone on. And I think that's a hugely positive comment about the coaching staff about the buy-in, about kids continuing to work. And it's testament to, to what Heupel does offensively, what Heupel does works. I mean, Kentucky's a I – mean, I don't think Kentucky's a great football team, but they're a pretty good defense. They, had, they hadn't had 45 hung on them like they got on Saturday night in 46 plays. <laughs> yes, that's the more amazing thing. Well, and I mean, if, if Jalen Hyde doesn't step out of bounds, it's 50. I mean, it's, it's 50 points and probably yeah. 43 plays, you know, few, fewer plays than that. I mean, and I mean, that's just the bottom line. If he catches that clean right there, he's going to walk in for, for a, a touchdown. Um, bigger surprise to you, Rob, Hendon Hooker's play, or if somebody would have said that um, Cedric Tillman has a 20-yard catch in each of the last five games. It's, I mean, it said – I wrote this in the 3-2-1 on Monday. It's, it's Tillman. I mean, I'm surprised by Hooker. I mean, I think everybody is. I mean, he's played. He's probably not going to beat all conference because of Matt Corral and Bryce Young, but he's played at an all conference type level. 
but he had been a starting quarterback in a power five program before Cedric Tillman had seven catches for 124 yards in three years coming into this. He's beat that. He beat that in in the Alabama game. Yeah. I mean, Austin is, is Tillman's production, the greatest example of Josh Heupel just taking what he has and, and making it work because he's not the fastest guy, right? I mean, he's not the guy that they're going to line up. If, if his high school tape was, was in there being evaluated, they're not going to go that direction. Is that the best example of Josh Heupel not worrying about what he's inheriting, but just making what he inherited work? You know, I, he's faster than everybody gives him credit for though. Like, you know, I, I think people just tag him as the slow guy. I mean, he's not Jalen Hyatt or Javante Payton, but he runs well. I mean, I, I watched Donovan Peoples-Jones for the Browns Sunday, a bigger guy who just can who, who can run well enough, you know, that high points the ball well. I mean, you know, Cedric Tillman's just a guy that, you know, has kind of continually grown. And, it, and it's another example but to me, Brent, that you never write a kid off. Like, it's easy. It's easy for all of us. I'm 100% guilty of, of writing people off. And Hubs knows I wrote off Cedric Tillman two years ago. You know, I, you know, and, and so um, it, it's a perfect example. You don't write anybody off. Like, you know, you got to let them continue to progress, continue to get better. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's easy though to just go, man, nah, he's never going to play. Yeah. But AP, I mean, you're, you're just, you just cover the football team. I think there were a couple of guys that coached him and made hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it that wrote him off. Oh yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm just saying like, it's just another example though. Like if you get the right guy with the right message, the, and the kid works hard and continues to kind of progress, you, you know, kids can turn things around, you oh, know? So, um, so it is, a, it is an example of Josh Heupel inheriting what he has and making it work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and doing it in a way with, um, you know, that, you know, they get him the ball, you know, he's run some goes, but like he, he talked about it when he came out on the locker room, just like he's made his living on comebacks and digs, you know? I mean, like, if you really look like go back to the, the end of the first half, you know, I mean, the, the routes he ran there to get and the catches he made to, to put Tennessee in position to kick that field goal, a field goal that, you know, was the deciding difference in the end. Yeah, and that 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 three or four play sequence there, Rob, was the most atypical Tennessee thing that, that you will see at that point. 16 seconds to go in the half. I mean, the fact that they found a way to get into field goal range is just something that just kind of just kind of Tennessee fans. I mean, everybody's just kind of used to you take a knee there and go to the locker room. But but Josh Heupel knew he needed more points, and this offense they can they can cover thirty yards in sixteen seconds, or they did on and, those those plays. And to Heupel's credit, not just Tennessee fans. I mean, yeah, I mean, Butch, Dewey, Jeremy, they're, they're all taking the knee there. But so are probably ninety percent of college football coaches, I, I would say. Sure. And I mean, but it, he's I mean, that was just a great example of him having his foot on the pedal the whole way. And again, Cedric, as AP mentioned, Cedric Tillman. I mean, a guy that. Nobody – it was a complete afterthought back in August for just about everybody. Gets it done and what was it, 35 yards in 14 seconds? Yeah, 38, 35 or 38 yards in 14 seconds. I mean, it was just – I mean, at the, at the time it felt like it could be significant, you know, just because of the way the game was going. Yeah. Well, I mean, he started to come on at the end of last year. Um, you know, he had that, you know, the, the diving catch against Texas A&M. Uh, you know, he had the, 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 a nice catch in the spring game. Um, but to, to produce the way he's produced the last several weeks is something that no one saw coming. And, you know, 
it just goes back to, again, you know, kind of staying with a guy and the, the, the kid believing in. I mean, he and I have joked about a few times at media availabilities about just, you know, when he first got here, it was so obvious, Hubs, when he came in the game, they were run blocking. Or they were running the ball because all he did was run block. He, they never even let him run a route. He yeah. never run a route. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like you're blocking when you go in. And he's a guy who's gotten better. I, I don't want to say the guy can't play because that's certainly not the case. I mean, he's clearly gotten more athletic and has put himself in a situation where you know, he may be in the National Football League sooner rather than later. Um, you know, but – Well, and the one thing he does well, go back to, you know, after the – you know, because I asked Joe Milton – you know, because you know, Joe had the massive overthrows in that first game. And I said, why do y'all throw goes to Cedric Tillman compared to throwing goes to, you know, Javante Payton or, or you know, Jalen Hyatt? And and he said, because he's the one guy that can get off press man because he's big. He gets off press man and he runs well enough. Well, he's got his hands full on Saturday. Tennessee's got their hands full on Saturday in, in a lot of ways. Uh, let's start with the offense when, when we look at this matchup. Rob, how does Tennessee, how does Tennessee move the ball? How does Tennessee find points against the Georgia team that I think's given up twenty six points and three in three quarters of football this season in the first three quarters? Yeah, of the I season. mean, and this, I mean, this they're the number one scoring defense in the country, giving up six point six per game. Number two is Texas A and M at just under fifteen. That's a, that's a huge gap, an enormous gap. I think it's going to be tough. Here, I mean. They have they've given up 13 points twice. That's the most they've given up. I think Tennessee. I think Tennessee will score more than anybody has this year. I think Tennessee gets to 20, but I think it'll be big play. I don't. I don't think Tennessee can line up and, and drive the ball on this team. They're too good against the run. Um, and I really, if I'm Tennessee, I'm really worried about my pass rush this week or my pass protection this week. Excuse me. I mean, to me, that was that. If I'm Josh Heupel leaving Kentucky. Maybe even more than the defense. I'm, I'm concerned about my offensive line play and pass protection. Giving up five sacks of that one. When, when, that? That's 33 on the year. Nobody, I don't, nobody's close to that bad in the league. Yeah, 19 the last four games. You had six against South Carolina, five against Ole Miss, three by Alabama, five by Kentucky. I, it's not just the offensive line. Tennessee's got to pass protect better at running back. They've got to get – to me, they've got to get Jabari Small on the field. Um, I, I don't know that Ty and Evans' ankle is going to hold up the rest of the year. I mean, he got one carry and, and couldn't go back out there after that. But they've got to have some help there. And they're going to have to be creative, Austin, um, schematically and some pass protection stuff to help, particularly with that inside pass rush. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and Cade coming off his SEC lineman of the week, um, they got the fact that they're playing Georgia and, you know, the emotions of that game for him. But, like – you know, they're so quick off the edge, you know. Um, this will be a game that challenges him, you know, and East Tennessee's best lineman. Um, and, of course, we all talk, we all know about Jordan Davis and his ability up in the, of the middle. I mean, I mean they're going to have to help Cooper some there. Um, the, way they, the way they call plays in this game will be fascinating because as much as they want to go chunk plays, you almost, to me, want to get it out of their hands and, you know, use the quick passing game as an extension of your running game. At least that's, you know, my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to do because uh, Georgia will walk them up and play press man on you in a hurry. And so can you win that? The thing that jumps about jumps out to me most about Georgia when I look at them, all, all their stats are unbelievable. It's how deep they are on defense. I mean, they're, they're, rolling, they're rolling 9, 10, 12 legitimate dudes on the defensive front. Um, they're, they're playing about nine different linebackers. I mean, they are so ridiculously deep on the defensive side of the ball. 
Uh, it's crazy. It's a bunch of familiar names. I mean, <laughs> there, are a bu- there are a bunch of names on there. Tennessee. Like, you you see a guy make a play. It's yeah. like, I remember, I remember that guy from recruiting. I remember yeah. that guy from recruiting. Yeah. I remember that guy from recruiting. That's the, and, and putting the spot sheets together and working on some stuff for this weekend already. That's the first thing that jumps out. Austin is whether it's guys last year, you know, Nylon Green, Smile Munden, um, or, or it's Zion Logue and, and all these names from, from years past that, that Tennessee was involved in and, and couldn't get done. And, and those guys can legitimately play um, and are playing in, in a rotation of some kind uh, for, for the number one defense in the country. Defensively for Tennessee, Austin, you mentioned it, not a, not a good night at the office. Poor tackling. Um, the middle of the field continues to be a horrific, great divide. I mean, it's like tumbleweeds rolling through the middle of the field for Tennessee defensively. <laughs> Uh, 900 yards or over 500 yards given up the last two games in the, in the middle of the field is, is the bottom line. Austin, this is just who Tennessee is. And maybe Tim Banks does have to be more aggressive and, and play less zone. Or is it more of, Hey, Ben, don't break. Hope you can hold them to field goals. Cause you know, they're going to get yards in the middle of the field. Cause that's who he is. I think Tennessee needs to take more chances, especially in this game. Look, Georgia obviously is really good on defense. Offensively, they can still run the football. They hit you with some chunk plays, hit you that tight end stuff. You know, they're obviously talented at that position. Um, but I think you're going to have to bring pressure, you know. And you know, if you step back, I mean, Stetson Bennett's going to be very content to dink and dunk it down the field, hand it off and pick up seven or eight yards a pop and, you know, and be methodical. You know, I think you've got to bring some pressure and see if you can force them into some – you know, I mean, it's got to be longer than fourth and 24. Otherwise, you know, they give it up. But, I mean, you know, you, you want to try to force them into some really long situations. Rob, is pretty clear after the fourth and 24, Tim Banks just got mad. That, that was almost John Chavis-like the last four plays of the game after he gave up fourth and 24. He just said, I'm, I'm not going out in zone coverage. I mean, they, they, they brought A-gap pressure for four straight plays. And, I mean, how could you blame him? What's the downside? Right. And is that the case? Is that the case this weekend? That is for me. I mean, okay. I don't. I mean, I I might play it. You know, not not completely balls of the wall for first couple of series to see. You know, just how we match up if I'm Tim Banks. But I, I mean, I think like AP just, just said. I mean, I think you got to take chances. I I don't think you can play vanilla against Georgia and, and and they're not great offensively, but they're they're really physical. And I think that's what gave Tennessee the most problems. You know, other than the the stuff you mentioned about that's been there all year on the back end of the middle of the field. I think Kentucky's physicality up front really, really impacted Tennessee. Yeah. And and everybody in Athens has tried to work on finding a quarterback controversy and there's just not one, Rob. I mean, this this is this is this is perfect for how Kirby Smart wants to play football. A quarterback who doesn't make mistakes for him. Yeah, I I don't think he's beaten um, Uncle Nick like that with that that kid at quarterback. But he he the kid's been really good. Stetson Bennett, and, and you're right. I mean, when when you got a defense like that, he's perfect. I mean, you don't need for ninety five percent of your games. He, he's going to be good enough. I don't think he's going to be good enough in Atlanta. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but he'll be good. He'll be good enough on Saturday. I mean, he, if he, if he doesn't, you know, if he's in character, doesn't have three, three interceptions and just takes what the defense gives him. And, and Rob for or Austin for Tennessee, that means you got to tackle him on the scramble stuff too, because they're not going to line it up and run it with him and, and, and call a bunch of runs, but he is not no problem tucking it for 10 or 12 yards, which is kryptonite for this defense. 
Well, correct. I mean, anytime Tennessee's secondary has a little bit of success from a standpoint of like, you know, coverage and, and, and keeping and the quarterback having to hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball, they can't get home. And, and then the quarterback just says, okay, I'll just run seven yards, 12 yards, six yards, four yards, 13 yards. I mean, it's, you know, the, the secondary will do their job a lot of times, but then you know, the, the, the defensive front can't get home on their own. And that was, to me, like every play the other night. Yeah, Wasn't I, it to I, you? I, yeah, they, they couldn't get home against us. Hubbard, you're, you're the stat guy. I, I've not seen – I mean, I don't ever remember a defense, Tennessee div, defense, giving up third longs like this would have. Now, you, I mean, you see high third-down conversion rates when you can't stop the run and the other teams are third and two, third and one all night long. But these last three games, I think – I think, I think this is right. They've given up eight third down and sixes or more in each game, not eight total. In every opponent has yeah. gotten at least eight. Yeah, it's it's crazy numbers. I mean, the, the number that, that jumped out to me was they had they gave up 37 third and fourth down conversions the first six games of the season. They've given up 38 the last three games. And and they and those last three games, opponents, those last three opponents are converting 68% of the time. On third down, I looked this up. Coastal Carolina leads the nation in third down conversion, and they're at fifty five percent. Yeah, it's just been bad. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, Rodney Garner said it at the quarterback club on Monday. He said, "Listen, and none of us blaming the offense for going fast. It's on us to get off the field at some point when you're in these third down situations, particularly in the third and longs that you mentioned that they've been in. That Tennessee's just not been able to, to get off the field. So that will obviously be a huge part of this game." Uh, on Saturday afternoon um, inside Neyland Stadium. Last football question before we get to a, um, a couple of hoops things, and, and then we'll tie it up with a little SEC talk maybe at the end here. Is outside of Georgia, is Tennessee the most attractive bowl team in the yes. SEC that, that's not a playoff contender? Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to the playoffs, I, that's who I would want. I, that's a, to me, that's as, as simple as uh, one, two, three because Tennessee's going to travel well, and all those Florida Bowls, especially the Outback and, and the Tax Slayer, they know, you know, what Tennessee can do as far as fan attendance. And after last year and the investigation and all of that, I just think there's going to be a real clamor for fans to uh, to go, and I think there'll be a real clamor from bowls to want to get Tennessee because of the fans. I would agree. I, I'd say Arkansas would be pretty attractive. I'd say they're pretty – they'd probably get some bowl money those fans that they haven't spent in a while. But, uh, I mean, Tennessee's hot. They play a great brand of football. And the AP's exactly right. I mean, the Florida Bulls, they've seen it. I mean, they've seen tons and tons of orange show up to watch, you know, kind of a slightly above average football teams in how, bowl games. How would we feel about the Texas Bowl hubs? It's hot and cold weather, man. That could be really interesting. I've been to Texas, and there's been snow on the ground in, in late December, 1st of January. Well, I mean, Hubbard, consider this. I mean, we talk about Tennessee being hot and attractive. It, when this season's over, we look back, they will have had a legit chance, a, a completely legit chance to have gone 10-2. and two. Yeah, I mean, you know, because Pittsburgh was certainly a winnable game. Ole Miss certainly a winnable game. Um, you know, you'd like to have a Florida game back, but I think AP's nailed that one right. I mean, about that. I mean, it's like, it's like Kentucky. When, t- when Kentucky sees Tennessee roll into town, you know, they, they they find ways to screw things. I mean, every Kentucky fan leaving that stadium Saturday night was like that that was just, you know, seen that movie before, much the way what Tennessee fans are when they leave a Florida game, even though Florida's obviously not very good. They got a boatload of problems. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this team legitimately could, could have been a you know p- potential ten win football team with a player two here and there. Um, and um, again, most important thing is it's an improving football team for for sure. Um, John Fulkerson is putting up money, Rob Lewis, for points. Uh, that could come back and cost him a good bit of money because this team might be able to score the way Rick Barnes wants Tennessee to shoot three-point shots. They open officially open the regular season tonight. Uh, what are you looking for out of this basketball team in the official first game of the season? I mean, how many guys does he play? And I mean, how many how many guys does he play when it's close? I mean, not you know, not in the last six eight minutes of the game when I anticipate Tennessee to be up by twenty five or thirty. But in the first half, how many guys get off the bench? Is and let me keep in mind at, at last report, Fulkerson was probable, so that might that might impact. I don't, if he's if he's not one hundred percent with the thumb, you don't play. You know, he. You don't play him in this game, so we'll keep an eye on that. But if if Fulke plays, how much? How many minutes does Plavsic get? How what's the minute distribution like between Cam Olivia Camwa and Brandon Huntley Hatfield? Um, is Zakai Ziegler really your backup point guard, or when Kennedy comes out, do Viscovi or, or Josiah slide over there? Really, just kind of rotational stuff is is what I'm most interested about in this first one. So we'll see what Tennessee does on the basketball court tonight as uh, they open the regular season. We'll have full coverage of that. Again, it's a basketball team that that should win. And, and by the way, hats off to John Fulkerson. I mean, the guy's just continuing to put himself in, in a light where, I mean, he's going to be beloved, <clears throat> beloved by everyone as he is matching, you know, putting a dollar up for for points that have, that have made, giving it back to the University of Tennessee as a part of his uh, NIL deal, the, a couple of NIL deals that he has, if you didn't see that. That story was out there a little bit. Um, the NCAA has said they're going to restructure things. Um, how big of a deal is that for Tennessee as, as you try to get towards the end of this investigation? Don't you think it's big, Rob? I mean, you know, if you're going to turn back over the uh, punishment to individual conferences and stuff, I just, uh, you know, I mean, Tennessee, again, has, has, is self-imposing a bunch of stuff that I think will, will you know, equal what others have done. Um, they didn't do a bowl ban, but that's based off of the fact that, you know, the legislation's out there to not, you know, hurt kids uh, for others' misdeeds, um, you know, that weren't there. And so, I mean, I, I just feel like this this is a win for Tennessee, especially with it coming out right after Tennessee decides to not self-impose a bowl ban. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to add, but I, but I strongly agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I think Tennessee, you know, obviously got a pretty good idea. It's coming now. The hard part of that is when you talk about basketball, you got a whole bunch of Division One teams in basketball, and everybody's got, you know, everything's different for everybody, right? That, that, you know, some of those, you know, smaller Division One schools have a very different lifestyle and a very different approach to things than some of the Power Five stuff. So how all of that plays out is going to be interesting to see. But it certainly makes you feel like the NCAA may not be hearing Tennessee's case anytime soon if they do hear it and um depending on how this you know this call to action goes about and and how long it takes to get movement and some sort of direction in in that case but uh, i thought it was noteworthy that that came out on monday following tennessee's news um last thursday that they were not going to self-impose uh a a a bold ban on their team finally as we wrap it up uh, hopping around a little bit of the sec i mean how how big of a mess is Dan Mullen in down there? I mean, what, what, I mean, Anthony Richardson gets hurt in the, in the hotel lobby or in the hotel dancing. 
Uh, I mean, that, that thing, I mean, LSU seems like it's in better shape right now with, with no coach in place than we're, we're, what it looks like Florida is right now. Well, Rob, you simply don't put – or you simply don't wear Michael Jordans through muddy fields, and that's basically what Nan Mullen's doing. I mean, I'm amazed. I mean, not that I thought Florida was fantastic, but, I mean, to, to give up 30 and lose at South Carolina, I mean, I – I think we all have, have a, probably an agreement that South Carolina is just, I mean, not very good. That they're one win about one one win away from from being bowl eligible. Yeah, but that's more about schedule and oh, it is and Florida blow it up than anything. I mean, this is this is an implosion, man. I mean, I'm I'm with you, Hubbard. I mean, I would I would have thought that you know LSU was the biggest dumpster fire in the league, but at least they've got you know kind of some closure and a sense of direction of you know, of what they're doing, I, I'll be stunned if Mullen survives, but I don't know what's going on in that locker room around that team, but that's a team that has quit. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Just, just watching them on television. Yeah. When you go and do what they did in Columbia, South Carolina, you got a whole lot of, of major pro major problems stemming out there. So uh, we'll see Austin, how that affects Tennessee in terms of recruiting. Uh, does, does Tennessee jump in there in any way? Shape, I think it's definitely helped them with Jordan Phillips. You know, Phillips was trending hard for Florida there for a while, but the last six weeks or so, you know, have really helped Tennessee's cause to hold on to him. I would be shocked if they're not able to at this point. Yeah, and so what happens down there and then what the movement is with, with other coaches around the conference uh, as we're starting to see some some movements around the country, how that all shakes out. Um does it shake out in enough time for anybody to really do anything in terms of flipping or, or looking around with the early signing period coming up? So uh, lots of unknowns in Florida, lots of unknowns uh, at LSU, and we'll see how that affects recruiting. We'll continue to follow that for you as well. And obviously we'll do everything uh, in our regular schedule to get you ready for Tennessee and Georgia for a 3.30 start on CBS coming up on Saturday afternoon. That's going to do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics FallQuest.com Tuesday podcast. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the Ball Quest podcast every week here on Ball Quest.